Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. This is the market report for the week commencing the 6th of Jan. So firstly, a happy new year to everyone. Uh, Welcome back. You've obviously missed us for several weeks, so... um, Pleased to be back with you. Andrew's away. Andrew's uh, taking a skiing break, so he's uh, he's on the slopes as we speak. So you've got me this morning for the market report. So I'd just like to start with, I mean, it's, this is a bit of a thank you actually to any of our listeners that have kindly been uh, loading wheat for us over the Christmas break. It's um, never the best of times. We've been flat out at it. Not just farmers, you, you've been even great in loading, thank you, but uh, also storekeepers. And the hauliers. Yeah, apologies for the short break, but a, a very um, hearty thank you. So the uh, I'm, I'm going to keep the marketing chat pretty short and sweet because it's it's been a period of a, of a couple of weeks of thin volumes, and you do see over a period over the Christmas break that the market can be bullied sometimes on the thin volumes, and it doesn't always perfectly reflect the. Uh, the market direction. There, there have been a couple of um, big bits since our last report or big bits of news. I mean, the most uh, significant one really is the China-US trade deal. And they're not completely over the line, but there's uh, the potential signing, I think, on the 15th of Jan of the phase one deal where Donald has convinced the uh, the Chinese to buy $40 billion worth of ag products. I mean, this this is a big number. The, the best ever imported level into China in 2013 was 24 billion. So you can see that's a, it's a big uh, hill to climb to get to 40. But the Chinese have, have come out and openly said that, yes, that is achievable and uh, and they're going to make it. So on on the back of that, we've seen wheat, wheat firmly up, 20 cents, 20, 30 cents. Corn's been firm as well. Um, soybeans, similarly, has, has had um, uh, a bump. I mean, I've got to, got to say it's, it's helped the whole commodity spectrum, really. So what's that meant for our markets? I mean, the wheat market, the new crop has firmed. We're trading contract highs. Um, Nov 20 value is probably up five quid, I think, from the last one. Yeah, the, the new crop new crop is firm. Weather patterns were going to be more favourable. There was going to be a couple of weeks of dry weather, which could have brought a bit of downside to the market. But I mean, I just come in the office this morning and it's pissed down with rain again. So maybe that's taken a bit of the potential uh, for drilling opportunities away for, for the next week. But I think I'll leave it there on wheat. We're really trying to wait to see what the market does next week when we get back to some kind of normal volumes of trade. The most significant mover really has been rapeseed. Rapeseed's had a huge jump, talking about being bullied over thin volumes. I mean, it's very low numbers of trades, but it has jumped uh, 20 odd euros. Sorry, I should have done my research properly. 20 odd euros um, over the period of time. Pulled old crop values up to 340. It has been itching to, to want to do this for several months now, but something has been holding a bit of a lid on it. It's now broken through 400 euros, well, significantly broken through 400 euros, trading about 413. I've got to say at the moment, 400 euros now feels like the base. And I think there's a lot of 
potential to come, but who knows with the currency. So I, I'm not completely confident that it's going to keep keep moving up. And if you haven't done anything around these sort of numbers on the old crop, I think it could be worth looking at um, putting some away. Barley market, just to wrap this up, barley's been, been thin. Um, it has been under significant pressure. There has been the odd conversation or snippet of demand um, in, the, in these first couple of days coming back into the office, which may give a glimmer of hope, but but I think this is might be clutching onto a straw a little bit, but we'll have to see how that market develops. So no, all, all in all, I think we're... we're Acutely watching the weather forecast, seeing where the, the drilling opportunities will uh, will be. But I, I think in essence, sit on your hands on uh, new crop wheat and see what the spring brings. But uh, on that note, I will leave it there and we'll have Andrew back next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Wealth management company Bruin Dolphin has been helping families for many years to accumulate, grow and protect their money to cope with a changing financial climate. Their services range from bespoke investment solutions to retirement planning and tax-efficient investing across their 32 offices. In East Anglia, they have offices in Norwich, Ipswich and Cambridge. If you would like to know more, call Aidan Watts on 01603 733 300. Or look online for Bruin Dolphin. Capital at risk. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and can change. Bruin Dolphin is authorised and regulated by the FCA. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So this morning I've got with me our uh, our first of the new year is Jamie Lockhart, our returnee um, from back in September 18. Morning, Jamie. Morning. Uh, and Jamie's Hollingham Thought Farms, um, just for those of you who don't know. And we've got our very own Joseph Beardshaw. Morning, all. How, uh, how have you dealt with the fame and uh, fortune since then? You've been recognised in the streets of Norwich? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's difficult to walk through the streets of Norwich now, but uh, yeah, it's starting to wear off, so I thought about come for a time. Wandering out. around in a hoodie and a sort of like <laughs> balaclava or a beanie you know, disguise. Absolutely. No, it's great. So we've got you in today because this is a great one. You have taken on the challenge of doing a Nuffield scholarship. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? us not knowing a lot about Nuffield. Yeah, so I thought it'd be interesting to start with sort of a, a background of, you know, what the Nuffield scholar, Scholarship is and how it came about. And um, so I won't bore you with the, the full history lesson, but um, it's quite interesting to start with the guy who founded it all, a chap called William Morris, who was born in 1877. And he came from a very humble background, so left school at 15, I worked in a cycle repair shop, uh, went to his boss, and I know how challenging this is, asked for a pay rise, and the answer came back <laughs> as a negative. So he decided then to set up his own bike repair shop in Oxford. And that business started to grow, and there was obviously the dawn of the time when the first cars were coming onto to the mainstream. And so he decided he wanted to get into the automotive business. Um, Rather than just sort of blindly starting off, he decided to travel to America. So he saved his money up, went off to America, to Detroit and looked around the um, Ford car factory. As soon as he got there, he realised he had to travel straight back home, get his designer that he'd been working with, his engineers he'd been working with, and fly them out there or or travel out there again on boat, obviously not flying. Um, And they spent two weeks sort of ensconced themselves into the factory, spent two weeks there learning about the uh, mass production of cars, and then came back and cut a long story short, um, built the Morris Miner off the back of it, and that then, their company, grew eventually was sold to Austin or became Austin Motors and obviously he made his 
made his fortune that way. And he then decided to put um, quite a philanthropist, can't even say the word, he's quite a philanthropist, still can't yeah, say yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, and chose to put money into various causes, obviously Nuffield Health you'll be aware of and so on. And one of the, one of the causes he put towards was... Uh, uh, to set up the Nuffield Foundation, which he put in a, a, a lump of money to encourage people who had started out of business to take a step back from the coalface and go and travel the world and look at how other other parts of the world are. Doing is it, so this isn't just specifically agriculture, it is abroad across lots of industries. So the, the Nuffield Foundation originally was aimed at agriculture and field science, if you like, and okay. so, so it's aimed at a, a, a relatively narrow band uh, initially. And yeah, so, the, so this year is the year of the thousandth scholar in the UK, um, and they come from you know, varied backgrounds, but all agriculture. So they, they dish them out pretty easily then? They, they do, they? yeah, yeah. Willy nilly, yeah. Anyone, you know, just 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 rock up and you'll get one. So yeah, so the process that I had to go through to to be awarded a scholarship, the the reason I chose to do it this year is because I'm getting an old man and uh, the cut off age is 45, so I had to do it now or never. And applied originally on a on a um, application form and then travelled to London to have an interview, which is a pretty daunting experience. I've I've heard that's quite a brutal process. It's um... yeah, it's something you know. I've I've, um, I've had a few job interviews in my time, but but it's quite daunting when you're sat in front of, in a room with uh, with five people in front of you, and uh, yeah, not weren't too many smiles or welcoming uh, handshakes and so on. It was it was meant to, it was designed to put you under a degree of pressure, and it certainly worked on my part. And uh, and I came out of the room thinking there's no chance I'll be uh, travelling off to Australia in 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 February and March uh, this this year. So. Um, but having uh, having got through the the interview process um, was was granted a scholarship, and that re- really is down. That's a, a travel bursary which is supported by the Nuffield Foundation, and they have various sponsors. And the local sponsor for for Norfolk is the RNAA. So I must put on record how pleased I am that the RNA are supporting Nuffield again and, and, and for this year for me which is a, which is a huge So, huge so you go out and find your sponsor do you? No so RNAA Royal Norfolk Agriculture Association are a long standing sponsor um, they will they put their hat into the ring every year and if a suitable scholar um, comes up then they will they will put their uh, money forward. Does it help uh, the fact that you've stewarded there for? I'd like to think years? so. Yeah, I'd like to think so. A bit of payback, maybe. But <laughs> no, I am. I'm hugely, now, I'm hugely yeah. grateful to the RNAA for the for their sponsorship, and uh, certainly it wouldn't happen without them. And what that gives is a is a is a bursary that allows us to travel wherever we want to go. Really, so it's you know, it's a, a worldwide bursary. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I read the EDP article. I did my research earlier, and and the place you're going to. Actually, that's a good point. Let, we better actually talk about your title. We haven't yes. mentioned it. Yeah. So. Your title I've got here is Unlocking the Potential of Data Use and Agritech Within Agriculture. The title that rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's very easy. (laughs) So it's all about um, data use, isn't it? Fascinating, probably underutilised within farming. Well, I think it started, the the subject came to mind, having sort of thought about it for a while. Um, We know where I wanted to take this study, um, obviously before I applied, and I thought, Actually, we've been promised um, the sort of the data revolution in agriculture for probably pushing on for 15 years now, um, where we have been you know, gathering various forms of data, whether that's yield data or soil analysis or you know any any forms of you know weather and soil data and so on. Never really being able to join the dots of that. So we we've got, as it says in that in that article, we've got lots of different types of formats of data on you know anything from floppy disks if you're old enough through to 
up in the cloud now and it's actually how do we bring all this data sources together to actually start to give some value back joe uh, joe dropped me a great little one line yesterday he said um data is like a bikini what it reveals is interesting but what it hides is vital that sounds like a very joe beardshaw style of kind of statement <laughs> <laughs> sitting next to me with a good chuckle thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> guessing that will be edited out later yeah. um so in terms of your data at the moment, obviously uh, this is a bit critical of farmers and I'm probably yep. getting slaughtered for this. A lot of businesses do use data and farmers are probably a bit backwards in terms of utilisation of data. I mean, you, the, the data you collect is obviously, you know, in, in simple formats, you know, yield, probably weather, rainfall, radiation, yep. maybe soil conditions. What's your, you know, how do you want to push it and take it forward? What's your hopes to achieve out of the scholarship? So I think that the, Data has somewhat been, this is the wrong word to use probably, but somewhat forced on us in terms of technology has come to us, whether it's on a tractor or a combine or whatever, to say we've got this yield, we've got yield meter, for example, or a system where we can monitor green area or green areas you drive across the field to decide on nutrient applications and so on. And it's never really, they've come to us in sort of disparate blocks and so we've never been able to really join them together and say well actually if we if we have a history of low yields on that part of the field do we reduce maybe do we set that area of field aside or do, what can we do to improve it and, and and get yields up and so on and I think it's the whole data area needs to be more vendor driven it needs to be more farmer driven to say these are the problems that we've got and these are the, this is the information that we need to try and solve some of these issues rather than it being well, a new manufacturer coming say we've got this whizzy device that's going to change your life to actually realize when you get it home and you've spent the money on it you plug it in and it doesn't talk to the system that you've already got and therefore it becomes pretty pretty useless fairly quickly mm. and I think the the analogy that I've used a lot of the time is uh, you know if, if someone came to you now and said we've got a really good film you need to watch this might predate you Ian but uh, uh, you've got a really feel good film you want to watch but it's on a Betamax video cassette <laughs> you'd say well I've got VHS so I can't watch yeah. it so however good it is I'm not going to be able to unlock that that enjoy play whatever yeah, looking course, at yeah. it because yeah. it's in the wrong format so I think you know I'm hoping them to, to, to look around at other parts of the world and see have they got systems that are more connected and as I say more more vendor driven so that the, the farmer is saying yeah great you've got a new system but if it doesn't plug and play with our system we're not interested yeah. and therefore that will hopefully drive drive developers mm. to 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 work to a more common common rail system do you think there's a lot of R&D within the UK to kind of take it forward at the moment or is it something that's sort of under um, under capacity i think there's i think there's a significant amount of research going into you know better use of data you know there's just a sheer volume of data that's being generated i think there is now there is now a real hunger to try and get some value back from it um, very much in the uk and i think there's you know one of the, one of the areas that's been frustrating is that you know different manufacturers using tractors as the example if you have a green tractor you have a, a one particular system if you have a red tractor you have another system i think they've now realized that um the the intelligent side of um of, of of their machines have to integrate with others um and then that's that, that that means that farmers will then start to see some real value and and you know hopefully then if you can see value in it, you're going to use it and as you start to use things more they'll be developed quicker as well There's, there are some other companies in the world that sometimes have the boldness to say unlocking their their knowledge about something in an open way and by by making it more should we say plain text for everyone to be able to access and that's the difficulty because they're losing sometimes their their yeah. usp there you know, as you're right someone someone spends a huge amount of money in r&d bringing a new technology to market but 
you know, I think what the realization now is that unless they open up the systems, their APIs as such, so that systems can start talking to each other, then that this is not going to gain the traction that they hope for. So I think you know it's, it is it's, it's going to be a um, a bold move, and and you know there will be winners and losers within that, I guess. But but I think we need to we we can't have we can't continue to have data served to us in silos that don't interact with each other because we're just not unlocking the value. At the end of the day, the value is, you know, it's either going to be displayed in increased yield or improved environmental standards or whatever it might be. And so, the, you know, there's some real big wins at the end of it. And maybe the way that we pay for data or for um, technology services may change. And, you know, and I know that there are a few large farming organisations now that are, you know, rather than looking at employing a farm manager that maybe they'll take on a data manager as well as just sits alongside the 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 the, the management team to really try and drag out the the nuts and bolts of data to actually start to put it to work and get some value back talking about the nuts and bolts jamie what are the what's your data porn <laughs> <laughs> what what do you love what what's your you know is it you know are you looking at rain monthly rainfall is it you know we talked about like sort of radiation um you mentioned actually reading the edp article you're going to visit john deere aren't you is yes. that right yeah I mean, where, where, what are your critical bits of data that you use and look at? Well, I think at the moment we are, as we said before, the, the it starts or finishes, as you like, with 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 yield data. So, you know, if we if we if we if we're looking at a field and we can say, well, you know, it's a, a ten hectare field and the variance of, of yield across it was X, Y, and Z, then we can use that information to st- sort of target inputs for the following year. Maybe look at our cultivation strategy and so on. But I think that that doesn't give all the answers it gives you the 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 net result of all your all your um, actions for the previous year but are there are there areas where we can say well we got this yield and because we've been recording soil temperature moisture various other aspects we can say well actually yeah we, when we look back we can start to understand the critical points and, and other things that we could have done to intervene improve sometimes you just hold your hand up and say it's been a rubbish season and, and the yield you know similar to what we've had this autumn we could have all the data you liked and it's going to not stop raining that, you're not going to get that was done one of the things that i i gleaned again from the edp article is you want to be more reactionary to things yeah rather than just looking at after and think okay that happened you want to kind of yeah there needs to be i think you know, one one of the i mean there's sort of three strands to the to, to what i want to look at which is so there's the compatibility issue which we've spoken about there's the ownership of issue of data which we've maybe come back to and then there's the adding value of how do we how do we take data that we've got maybe we need to start from a historic background initially and then we can start to look at the data that's coming out and be proactive in how we use it and say, well, actually, when we look back, we can see that up until this point in a particular season, it was very similar to you know, a season five years ago. And that resulted in lower yields or, or whatever. And had we done something differently then, we could have maybe changed that. And, yeah. and, and that, that could be potentially how, how we can get some value back. Um, but I think it's, you know, we have... All of the data that we have, in, as I say, stuck in drawers and things at the moment, it still has some significant value to it if we can get it into mm-hmm. uh, into a more live system now. Because yeah, yeah. we need to look back at history to then be able to be um, you know, proactive and mm-hmm. use that data to, to pulling, guide Pulling decisions. it all together, and, and you, you're looking at data in lots of different pockets, I think this is one of the things that I was thinking you're trying to get to, is to pull it into one place. Yeah, I mean, that's going to require quite a bit of collaboration, not just from you know from from your data that you're collecting but various different sources i think do you think people will be quite willing to 
get involved with that? I think there is definitely a more openness to sharing data from the larger manufacturers now to um, be more open. But I think it does come back to the one of the other areas I spoke about, which is ownership of data. You know, if you buy you buy an expensive piece of machinery which has a gadget on the top which gathers data you know we we then pay to have that data delivered to us in a way you know normally on a on a manufacturer's um, website portal or whatever you want to call it but they also have access to that data as well now you know do we fully understand who owns that data and, and where that can or can't be shared because you can imagine if you know a large manufacturer who's got yield meters on x number of combines around the world it's quite a powerful position, and you know, you come back to your business with grain trading and so on. If you, if that, if that data was was packaged and and you know potentially passed on to you guys, it would be a very useful, and you and you you know you chose to pay for it to give you a competitive advantage. Then you know, does that should some of that um, value come back to the farmer who's actually you know who feel that data has come from, if you like? So, um, so I think you know understanding ownership is going to be uh, is, is 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 a key thing that maybe has been left in the in the long grass at the moment as these things have developed. It's something that hasn't really come with it. Um, and I know in Australia, especially, there's there's been quite a lot of um, research done on that very subject. And uh, um, and in the states, they've they've put together a, um, a farm business network, which is you know farmers taking control of their data and then deciding who they share it with, largely sharing it with the, with themselves to to form bigger data sets which can then then start to drive decisions and uh, you know across a wider area but they are they are retaining more control over it the key drivers really your your main motivations is to improve efficiencies isn't it really you know that you yeah. want to get the best out of your land and you mentioned earlier there may be certain areas that you say aren't worth cropping from some of the data yeah. it, it's it's all about efficiency surely i mean i mean however you look at um, um farm support it's going it's changing it's going to be very different going forward um you know we we are going to lose um what has been a, a relatively snug safety blanket for uk farming yeah. um in the next five to six years and so we're going to have to start looking at every field that we farm as a cost center in its own right um and you know with with spatial technology and various other things now we should not only be able to record you know what we're putting onto each field, but also the time it takes to to do the various operations. You know our best field, that is our highest yielding field, and so on. It may be that it's got 27 corners of pond and a telegraph pole, yeah, which actually yeah. means all the operations take twice as long as uh, as maybe the second best field. So when you start to score everything together, you really start to drag out what where where your easy wins are, your mm. easy fixes are, and maybe that some of the some of the more difficult fixes. You say, well, actually, we're just going to have to. Uh, decide not to not to farm this and put it into an elm scheme an environmental land management scheme or potentially but but use data to, to drive those decisions rather than what we what we may perceive as the right answer so you just mentioned actually that we are going to go through a politically harder time and there may be some support disappearing we're not sure yet but new zealand is one of the um I was about to use the, one of your jolly destinations, but you told me not to call it a jolly. <laughs> um, we'll come back to that over a beer. But New Zealand's one of your destinations. Is that really because they've been through that, gone through it, and they've had to become more efficient as farmers? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot in that. I think that when you you know you can look at the dairy industry, you can look at the cereal industry as well in terms of a lot of the models that UK farming have been following are models that have been derived in in New Zealand. You know that. That can't be by accident. They they have to strive to make sure that they are maximising every element of their business because they know that there is no safety blanket there. So it, you know that that has driven innovation. Um, and you, you could argue that that, that um, 
basic payment much as it's been required and enjoyed it's it maybe has been a bit of a, a curb on that and and hasn't forced some decisions that maybe could or should have been made a few years ago i think there could be some quite exciting times for agriculture i mean it, it's going to push innovation isn't it and things like that like you're taking up and, and lots of research and um, and growers will be farming differently i'm sure yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely is it beer time let's go in take it easy don't get too excited Okay, so we have a beer from the Humpty Dumpty Brewery, and it's called Broadland Sunrise. Nice sort of 4.2, and it's described as Broadland Sunrise is a crisp orange-red ale brewed with additions of rye for dry finish with citrus American hop notes. Wonderful. Sounds good. Look at that experience. There's a sound sound that says goodbye to dry January. Is that going to help your weight loss here? I can see your uh, your usual favoured yeah. measures there, Webby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, oh, a, sip, Ian, a sip yeah. will do me. Ian's clearly more thirsty than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to admit, and it might sound like this on the uh, over the uh, the mic, but I have had man flu, so I can barely smell anything. But I can definitely smell this. Yeah, beer. that'll clear the pipes. It is yeah. quite. Um, yeah, wow! Look at that. You can't really see through it. Yeah, it's all right. It's not bad. Too bad. So were you, um, were you actually going to attempt to try January? No, not really. No. I'm delighted you give me an excuse this early on <laughs> to throw in the towel. No, there's a lot of fatty stuff. And, and the, the latest one, I, I don't really want to touch on this too long, but Veganuary as well, which is getting a lot of uh, Twitter press at the moment. And um, Yeah, I just yeah. wish someone would come up with moderation, annuary, if that's a word, just to, yeah, if everyone absolutely. just did things in moderation, all the world would be fine, wouldn't it? Exactly. Obviously, you came up with the idea, you fancy the idea of becoming a scholar. I'm sure you're going to have to wear a hat at some point. And do you, do you, so. you Surely you aren't a scholar yet, you will become a scholar on presentation of your findings, I'm guessing. So we, uh, we have been awarded the Nuffield Scholarship at the UK's Nuffield Conference, which was in November. I suppose officially we are scholars, but until we complete, we can't really brand ourselves as that. But the process of um, you know how, we, how I applied and how anyone else could apply, the opening for the 2021 scholarship has just opened on the 1st of January, um, and there's an initial stage where you put a, a, a pre-application in, which broadly outlines your career to date and the type of area that you might be interested in. You don't have to define your subject at that point, mm-hmm. um, but you have to give a steer onto where you think you, you, you may want to, yeah. uh, what areas you might want to look into. Um, that then goes through a selection process, and I believe um, about 60 there's about 100, 120 applicants a year apply, and out of that, about 60 get through to the second stage. Okay. The second stage being the interview, which yeah. is the scary bit down in London. And then, so from that, there are this year there's been 19 scholarships awarded. Okay. Um, so it's it's normally between yeah around that number. Yeah. And we have actually got two Norfolk scholars this year. We've got Sam Steggles as well, who forgive me, I can't remember what his title is, but I think he is joining us in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Um, on the podcast as well. Yeah, well, we we are about half a mile apart from each other. So yeah, two Norfolk having uh, have not too many scholars come out of Norfolk. We've now got two within a mile yeah. square square mile of each other. So who knew that Norfolk had this much intelligence? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and so I suppose the awkward part: how do you manage your day to day work? Because obviously that still goes on, doesn't it? But you, you, it's probably quite time consuming, isn't it? It is time consuming and I think um, you know, obviously it's picking the times of year where um, the things on the farm are slightly less busy. I'm travelling out to uh, New Zealand in the 30th of January 
um, and we're planning to be back sort of middle of March, which is a big chunk of time. But I'm very fortunate that Ian, my boss, um, did an, he did an Uffield scholarship in the late 90s. Um, so he sees the true value of what a scholarship of what the experience can deliver, and hopefully, from you know, from his point of view, he can see some of that advantage coming back to to the, to the business as, as well as me personally. So that's De- been it. definitely to emphasise again, it's not a jolly, is it, James? Absolutely not a jolly. No, <laughs> don't, don't let anyone tell you anything differently. So, so yeah, Ian has been a huge support uh, in allowing me to do this, and I'm also very lucky to have you know very capable farm manager in, in Harry, and so he will you know he will take over the reins. We'll we'll be obviously in contact whilst I'm away, but uh, every confidence that he will um, you know pick up the reins and, and 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 crack on with things. It's unfortunate we've had such a tricky autumn to to to, yeah, to, to go in front to of this this period because it's probably going to be one of the busiest springs we've ever had. But yeah. uh, you know who knows? It'll stop raining one day, and we might be able to actually get on and do something. Yeah. No, I, I think um, about it, Jamie. I mean, thank you very much again. And um, I've got to say, we're probably now looking forward to having you in for a third time to hear how you got on and kind of uh, report your findings to us firsthand. So, yeah, and yeah. If, nothing, if nothing else, I can come and show off my tan. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Doing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 